Welcome to the KnoxCast, where we talk to the community about all things Knox. My name is Mitch Prentice, and today we have the honor of speaking with Associate Professor of Biology at Knox College, Nick Gidmark. Professor Gidmark has made a name for himself at Knox not only through his teaching, but also through his part in installing a full-sized whale skeleton display in the newly renovated Umbeck Science and Math Center, or SMAC for the alumni listening. He sat down to chat about how one goes about procuring a whale skeleton and the journey of transporting it from the East Coast all the way back to the cornfields of Illinois. Nick, how's it going? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Tell us a little bit about you, you know, what you do here at the college, your research, everything. Sure. So, um, as you mentioned, Mitch, I'm an associate professor of biology. I teach upper-level classes in anatomy and physiology mostly. I dabble in fish biology also, but I don't have time to teach that as much as I might like. I also teach intro classes like all the rest of the biology faculty here. And um, my research is um, also anatomically focused. I study jaws and jaw muscles, and I've started to do some things um, with clinical clinical anatomy. So there's lots of different species of animals that are used as model organisms for studying human pathologies, human diseases and things. And the problem is that sometimes the researchers who are who are studying those those pathologies and using, say, a rat as a model organism, because they can't do research on humans, obviously, uh, they, they don't haven't necessarily done uh, a really thorough overview of the anatomy. I'm an anatomist by training, and so my, my, what my research has always been is, is trying to understand the differences in shape and form um, and, and the mechanics of how anatomy works. Whenever you walk into one of your classrooms, I think it's striking just what the classroom looks like, right? I mean, there's skeletons. Biological on... form is beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely, and the way that your students are able to and if I'm wrong about this, correct me, but they do glue the bones together. Is that right? To actually create, they take, you know, individual bones and put it together. And the classroom looks like a huge museum display of different animal forms. It's really amazing. The, the goal six years ago when I got here was to build a natural history museum. And we've, we've done a pretty good job of that. Yeah, <laughs> so. I would say so. I mean, you can walk through Smack and see so many different examples of where your footprint has been left as an instructor over the years. And I think that is maybe uh, the most evident from just the entryway of Smack leading into, you know, what we're here to chat about today, which is a giant whale skeleton at the front of the building, which is uh, pretty impressive to see, especially with the big glass front that's on there now. And at night, it's really incredible because it has its own like light display. Basically, it looks really amazing. And I think uh, for me personally, coming back to Knox and seeing it for the first time, my first question that came to my mind, and I, I have to imagine this is many people's first question is, where do you source a whale skeleton from? How, how does one come to um, procure a whale, a whale skeleton to utilize in any fashion? I suppose you want a more in-depth answer than I know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, if that's what it is, you know, we'll work with that. But I'm sure there's more to it. No, it, and it is, all, it is all above board, I will say. Um, so I guess, I, guess I, would, I would start more toward the beginning um, and, and sort of explain the whole process. Um, when I started at Knox, as, as some um, alumni from, from decades ago will remember, um, the ACOR 
of SMAC was like this bunker where um, there were some windows. They did exist. They just were uh, oddly placed, and you couldn't walk all the way around Acor in one go. It was like this little maze to try to get to to be confused and miss your calculus class. And um, so the renovation that happened then, round about my third year, I think, is when it started, um, obviously had a lot of uh, more open floor plan, a lot more space, bumped out some walls, and, and put in that beautiful um, entryway. And I remember um, the architects talking to a bunch of us faculty, and they said, this is going to be this beautiful, big space where, like, you know, it's two stories high and 75 feet long, and your mind can just expand into the space. And like, yeah, that was cool. That was a cool idea. Um, and I, uh, I summer out at uh, a marine lab on the East Coast, Shoals Marine Lab um, in Maine. And um, I interact with a lot of people who are part of um, the Marine Mammal Stranding Network there. So this is uh, a network of different institutions, um, government organizations, academics, who um, are trained in responding to strandings of marine mammals. So a whale dies, washes up, dolphin washes up, whatever. Um, they, they go deal with it, because you can't just like leave this thing to rot on the beach. And, uh, so I have some, some good friends out there who are, who are part of that whole network, and I was talking about the, the space that we were going to have in, in the ACOR, um, and my friend Andrea goes, why don't you just put a whale there? And I was like, huh, that's a cool idea. I like it. Um, and I, just like you, Mitch, didn't, I didn't have any idea how, to, how does one go about that. So luckily I had these friends who were like, yeah, you, just, you apply for a federal permit through NOAA, and um, then you find a whale, and um, then, then it's all good. Um, it's like one, two, three, no problem. Um, and so I then spent about uh, six months working on that federal permit, um, which is kind of weird because you're applying to the federal government to legally possess a large whale. Like just writing that, it just like seems really like a funny, um, a funny endeavor. And there's a bunch of um, uh, conditions. You have to have it on public display. You have to make it available to researchers if they want to see it. Well, um, just just to pause yeah. on that real quick. I, you're, you're putting in this permit for the whale, but if I'm understanding what you're saying right, you're kind of also waiting for a whale to wash up. Is What's the availability like? I mean, yeah, how that's many... a good question. And, and you're at the level of knowledge right now that I was when I was writing the book. <laughs> Let's step one. We're step one first, yeah, Mitch. Yeah, Let's start yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we will get there. We will get there. So it's like, okay, cool. Let's write this permit. And um, so I write the permit, and the, eventually it, it comes back six months later, and they have this, here's a permit, so you can legally uh, possess a whale now. Um, but the, the feds don't just give you a whale. So um, what you have to do then is... Um, one of two things. Either you, just like you say, literally wait for a whale to wash up, and then you deal with it. And the other option is to find someone who's already got one and um, willing to part with it. Because it's Marine Mammal, Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, it's not legal to buy or sell them. So even if you find someone with a whale skeleton, like, you got to convince them. You got to, like, you know, put on your charm or something to, to get them to give it to you because it's only, it's only gifting. Um, and so what I did then was I spent about the next six months essentially cold calling institutions up and down the East Coast asking, do you have a whale? And may I please have it? Um, so I, 
Again, things I didn't think I'd be doing in my life. I can't even imagine how a phone call like that would start. Like, hey, how you doing? Um, do you have a whale? Yeah, basically. Have? Basically, yeah. Um, and so I got a lot of no's. Either no, we don't have a skeleton, or yes, we do, and you cannot have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of those institutions were, were part, of, part of this stranding network. And so they said, okay, well, we'll we can put your name on a list if you want. And like, what they do is when, when a... Um, when a whale dies and washes up, um, they just go down the list. They call the first person on the list, and if they can't come, then there's the next person on the list on, on down. And the, the deal is that you have to show up within 48 hours, and you have to have a team with you who is um, ready and, and able to um, de-flesh the animal. You have to have um, an ability to cart away the soft tissue and humanely, or, you know, biohazard dispose of it, um, and you have to have um, a, a vehicle to take away the skeletal remains. Um, but you don't know when that's going to happen, right? So like week seven of fall term, right? Am I going to get a call and be like, okay, it's also not that easy to dissect a whale, so you need like a team, you need crew, and. I mean, my, my anatomy class is great, and um, certainly many of those students would A, be interested, and B, able to, uh, at least technically, to, to, to deflush a whale. Um, but, you know, they can't just like leave their classes. <laughs> we can't just all fly out to New Bedford. Um, so, uh, yeah, I kind of didn't, knew that that was probably not gonna work, um, that route, so, so it was more just, continuing to call and call and call and call, I don't know how many hundreds of places I called, trying to um, find someone who had a whale. And I eventually got a hold of a guy from Massachusetts Wildlife who's now retired. Um, And uh, he said, okay, I helped with this whale um, cleaning about 10 years ago, and um, the bones are at this um, science outreach center um, in New Hampshire. And um, they don't have space for it. So they have, they're storing it outside, you know, freeze, thaw, whatever. They also have another whale skeleton inside of their um, science building. So, like, they really don't need it. I don't think they're taking good care of it. You need to go talk to them. So um, Tom says that, you know, there's this, this Seacoast Science Center that has a skeleton. Um, I don't think they're using it as well as it, they could. And, um, you know, they might be able to be convinced. So... Um, I call the president of that organization, same song and dance from this little college in Illinois, wondering if you have a whale skeleton and can I have it, please, and thank you. And um, he says, we've got one, but uh, you know, we, we're, not, we're not really interested in, in passing it on. So I call a bunch of other places and nobody's got, nobody's got a whale skeleton, as it turns out. So I called him back and I'm like, okay, okay, but really, like we want it. And he's like, actually, you don't want it. It's pretty busted up. It's in a bunch of pieces. And like, we're really not, not really sure. So it was already in skeletal form yes. at that point. So yes. theirs you didn't have to harvest for a Correct. lack of a better And word. they had also buried it in compost, which is the move to get most of the oil and stuff out of it. Um, so half the hard work's done. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, all the cleaning work, um, or so we thought. We'll get to that later. Um, so uh, I, they get me off the phone the second time, and then calling around, still can't find it, calling back a third time, and I'm like, okay, look, here's the deal. We have this new science building coming in. It's going to have this perfect space for that animal. Um, you know, we really want to do it justice. 
um, we, we want to have it be like a team thing where um, I can get some students from my anatomy class together. Um, you know, we can be part of uh, part of a group project. And he's like, it's in too many pieces. I'm like, yeah, but we have this artist friend, um, Andrea from from the art faculty here, um, and and she's going to help us like figure out how how to restore it and. Um, we have this, Knox has this mission of access, you know, it talked a bunch about our student body, I talked about, um, you know, how many students I have who've never seen the ocean before, much less a whale, right? And think about those marine biologists who never quite got there, who weren't, weren't able to do that because they live in the middle of Illinois. So I'm like, I'm like laying it on this guy. <laughs> and he's like, eventually, I think he just didn't want to talk to me anymore. Um, and he said, okay, let me, let me go talk to the board. He talked to the board and they said, okay. And so... He said, yeah, we'll, we're willing to, to pass it on and, and, and give it a new home. And uh, so at that point, like, cloud nine, right? Like, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Like, finally, we got it. We have found a whale. We have found a whale. It exists on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Andrea and I flew out there um, to, like, look it over. We met with Tom, and he kind of gave us a crash course in whale skeleton anatomy, which was super fun. And uh, kind of figured out what's what's there. Okay, everything's cool. Uh, and I remember Andrea looked at me and she was like, "This is a big job." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. This is pretty cool. And like, I had no idea. I thought I do. I did not know. I didn't have any idea. Um, so um, I went back there the following summer. Um, picked up a U-Haul. Um, I was out there already for the Marine Lab. I was wondering what like what kind of vehicle you would use to transport that. So a U-Haul. The biggest size you could get. Or? Actually, no. No. Um, it was, uh, I think, an 18-foot truck, okay. and you can get, like, 25-footers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so not small. Yeah. You know, the jawbones are twice as long as you are tall, but mm-hmm. that's the biggest piece, the longest piece, at least. Yeah. But it's actually really impressive how small your skeleton is. Like, a boot box, like a, like a box for cowboy boots, you, your skeleton would fit in. Fantastic. Which is, like, wild to think about, right? Like, you really, not the bones are pretty small. Um, and so... Yeah, like ratchet strapped the <laughs> ratchet strapped the jaws, which are these big like you know hoop um, uh, or curvilinear shaped things, um, onto the furniture holders <laughs> inside of the U-Haul. <laughs> wrapped everything in moving blankets. Um, yeah, and then drove across the country. And now, how much did these bones like weigh individually? Like when you're like pulling these onto the U-Haul, how many people did it take to to like lift them? Um, there, I think there were five of us who loaded. Um, and the, the jaws are the heaviest part by far because um, they're super dense bone. And they're, um, I don't know, maybe a, a foot in diameter. Think about a, a one foot diameter, um, 15 foot long tube of concrete. Um, wow. And you're, it's, it's almost that heavy. It's not quite, not quite concrete, yeah. but it's, it's not light. Um, but the, the head was actually broken into um, a few pieces, which conveniently made it a little bit easier to, to move around. The vertebrae were pretty, are pretty beefy. They're maybe 20, 30 pounds each, and there's, you know, 60 of them. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, the scapulas are like four feet high. And where, where were they all? When you get there, you walk into this place, and what? Where is the skeleton at? When you like initially see it? Picnic table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a few picnic tables. The vertebrae are stacked up in little stacks. So he had them organized for you, like um, fine china. They were sort of organized, um, and the science center had a little display, and they had like a roped off. It was like roped off, so people couldn't like oh, walk okay. in and among them. Okay. But like. Someone could jump over the rope and, you know, um, 
and there were some there were some pieces that were missing that we had to completely fabricate. Um, so yeah, so we get it here, and we're greeted by this um, mass of uh, probably sixty people. I had texted my lab, um, the students from my lab, and said, "Hey, can you just find whoever you can? Like, we need help moving this stuff down." And so there was. The soccer team was, it was in the summer, but like soccer team was around, so men's and women's soccer were helping, and a bunch of faculty and uh, lots of people um, came to help move it in. So my thought was like, okay, this is great. We can, we have a skeleton now. And um, the, the thing that I didn't realize was at that point was about two and a half years worth of work from, wow. from then to, to, to completion. So how many people total did you have just helping you unload this U-Haul? Probably 60. Okay. Um, so the unload, there was a lot of hands on that. Um, once we started the actual process of cleaning and restoration, we had about 25 total students, and um, uh, myself and then Andrea from, from art and Craig from um, theater. So Craig did the lights. Andrea actually developed new kind, a new kind of paint, a new chemical composition of paint, which I didn't realize was a thing that you could like do. Um, and so we cleaned them all. And like by clean, I mean like soaked in garbage cans full of ammonia to pull out some of the grease, um, scrubbing uh, with with big brushes and foam, um, and then moving on to like literally toothbrushes and dental picks. So like every square millimeter, we're like poking and pulling out you know lichen and stuff that's grown on it, little bits of um, oil and stuff that are still on there. So that was a that was a hugely painstaking process to just to just clean it. Now, when you were when you were planning, I know obviously when you were pitching this to people to to get your whale, you you had mentioned that you were telling them that it would be in these renovated spaces at Smack. Yeah. When they when they conceptualized these renovations, were they conceptualizing them with the whale in mind, or did you just kind of fit it into their plans? Um, just fit it in. So so the the plans, the architectural plans for the space were were long established. Um, uh, before you know, years before when yeah. fundraising and things started. So it was, it was just a, it was a matter of sticking it in there. And actually originally, um, when, we, when we got the whale and we told the architects, they made up some renders. And in all of their renders, uh, the whale, if you're looking toward the building, towards Mac from outside, the whale is facing to the right, so it's facing north. Um, and its head is over the, um, uh, the stairway. And that's really significant because when you have it oriented like that, the animal has to be straight, stick straight, because there's no way to put the head down with the stairway that's there. Um, and so Andrew and I very quickly were like, no, 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 architects, like that's not going to fly because we wanted to have it in this like lifelike posture. So it's um, the vertebral column is curving down and the mouth is, is dropped open, um, which is an, an actual lifelike feeding posture. So these are um, uh, filter feeding whales. They they do what's called lunge feeding or rourke wall feeding, um, where they drop the head down and then um, leave the lower jaws down and lift the, the rostrum, the nose, back up and essentially swim through a swarm of uh, fish or krill or whatever. Then they close their mouths around that volume of water, which, by the way, is about the volume of a bus, a bus school bus. Wow. And then they squeeze that out um, from this net-like baleen in their, in their upper jaws, so trapping the fish in and then they swallow them. And so we wanted it to be this like lifelike posture that you know was more striking than just like this stick straight thing. Um, and so that felt kind of fun that like the, art, the architects are the artistic p 
people, you know, with this vision, and I got to be like, nope, this is a better way. Yeah, I can't imagine being the architect, uh, having these grand plans to finish this building, and then uh, a scientist comes in and says, by the way, we need to, <laughs> fit, the whale. We need to fit a posture-correct um, whale into this space. That's not going to be a problem. That's right? not going to be a problem for you. Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, they were super great about it. The architects were really into it. They um, uh, they, they totally embraced it. And, um, and in fact, the... Um, the contractors too, we needed a lot of help from them because uh, we put um, I-beam clamps in the ceiling that we suspended cables from that are supporting it. Um, they built us a um, what they call the dance floor, a stage, a fake floor that's 20, 30 feet in the air so that we could actually you know, work on this thing um, and not be on 30 foot high ladders while we did it. And they, the, the contractors especially were super helpful. Um, they let us use their lifts and showed us where a bunch of different like important things were gonna be and here's gonna be a smoke alarm here so we can't put it there, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so really everybody from, from the architects to the administration here to the, uh, to the contractors really embraced it. It was, it was great, great fun. So you come in, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, put a timeline to this, you know, you, you want your whale, you get your whale, you go and you, you, you pick it up in your U-Haul, you bring it back, you get this huge community effort to kind of help restore it, clean it, you know, make casts of the pieces that needed to be made. You get it, you know, the architects, the constructors, everybody, it's just this huge project. And now Knox, has this amazing whale skeleton just on display 24 seven, which has been, I think, probably one of the number one requested things to see at homecoming. People always wanna see it. Um, what does it mean to you having been here now to kind of have that be part of your independent legacy here at Knox? I mean, I think it's really an honor, frankly, um, to, to have been able to, to spearhead it. And I definitely had no idea how big of a project it was gonna be. Like, Many thousands of hours. I have several thousand hours of wow. my own time into the project. Worth it. Um, totally worth it, 100%. I remember <laughs> when we had um, a provost for a year, Kai Campbell, and he came to see, see the bones. This was very early in the process, um, before we had done much restoration yet. And he looked at me and said, wow, this is amazing. And then he looks at me and he goes, Nick, do you actually think you can like pull this off? And I looked at him and I go, I think so, <laughs> but it's one of those things you can't stop halfway through. You know, you gotta go. Um, so yeah, there were a lot of uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of late nights working on it till three in the morning, uh, five days a week. It was um, it was it was a huge process, but it's really, I mean, I think it shows um, ambition. I think it shows the kind of uh, sort of can-do attitude that. Um, really characterizes a lot of Knox. I hope it ends up being, um, it seems like it is pretty iconic of like really awesome things that we can do at this college. And I mean, it's gonna be here long after you and I are dead. So, um, so assuming they don't like have to redo the science building again. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's been really an honor to, to be part of uh, such, a, such a grand uh, thing. And, and I mean, it's, it's so, it's, it's got its fingers in so many places. I mean, you think about, I, I use it obviously in teaching um, for comparative anatomy, but like photography and like painting and drawing, like drawing scale, the idea of how do you think about scale and how do you, if you have an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and you draw a mouse versus an elephant, like you draw it differently somehow so that the viewer knows that's huge and that's tiny. 
And that's a thing that's really hard to teach and you kind of got to just feel it. And that's something that, that you can do when you stand inside of the rib cage of an animal whose aorta, that, that blood vessel that pumps blood from your heart, whose aorta is big enough for you to slide down. Wow. Like, it's like, you start to, right, just thinking about that right. is cool, but standing in it and visualizing it, that's when it starts to really hit home that like, wow, size is super important and it's super pervasive. Um, whether you're talking about anthropology or, or math and I mean physiology, even when I teach physiology, it's all about size. And so it's, uh, I, I would say it's a mammoth undertaking, but the, a mammoth is only about a tenth the size of this whale. So it's... Well, thank you so much for walking us through that. That is a pretty amazing tale and one that I think Knox is proud to have uh, on their campus. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for chatting with us. So there you have it. A tale the size of a whale, literally. It's a story that has become lore on Knox's campus and truly a remarkable achievement by the many participating departments involved in the installation. We want to say a big thank you to Professor Gidmark for his time and for the amazing work on his part to make this display a reality. If you have not seen the whale in person yet, be sure to stop by Smack on your next visit to campus. You really don't want to miss it. It's amazing. That's all for this episode of the Knoxcast. Thanks for listening.